Thank you for that. And new community, thank you for the invitation to be here again. I bring you greetings from Garden City Covenant Church, just on the north, northwest side, a few minutes from here. And you've been in our prayers since we were together on Good Friday, especially in this season of transitions and search for a new pastor. We've been praying for you, and we trust that God has a great future in store for this church. Amen? All right. Um, It's an honor to be here and serve you this morning and to close this sermon series on such an important topic and person in need, the deep work of the Holy Spirit. I've appreciated so much the sermons from Brother Tim White and Dennis Edwards in this series, so thank you for your ministry and, of course, the worship team as well. It's kind of audacious for me to come and close this series as a visitor. So much has already been said, so much good, good stuff. Um, But as Brother Tim was reminding me, there there is so much more to say. And God is able to speak through the word beyond my ability this morning. So would you join me in prayer as we begin our sermon? Lord, we trust that you are already speaking to us today. And we pray that you would be honored and that we would be transformed by what we hear from your word even now. Speak, Lord, for the sake of your church. For the sake of this great city. And for your name, we pray. Amen. This morning, I want to read the scripture, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, and then I'll preach from it. I'll be reading from the NIV. And you can follow along from the screen or in your Bible or mobile device. Paul writes, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
Church, the Holy Spirit empowers us. Uh, do you know that God wants to empower you? That God wants to strengthen us? Do you know this? Uh, do we understand that God wants to strengthen us to be faithful to Jesus Christ, to love and serve others, to keep our promises and to let go of control, to do our jobs with integrity and excellence and to advocate for the vulnerable? God wants to strengthen us to laugh and to cry and to be generous, to not give up, to not give up on the church. We need strength for that, okay? To enter the next season of mission, to read our Bibles and pray, to dream big dreams, to get along with those people, to grow into Christ-like maturity. God wants to strengthen us. Amen? All right. We can close in prayer now, right? Actually, from Paul's prayer here, we gain insight into the heart of God for the church. And we see that God empowers us by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit, God empowers us through communion, by experience, and to work. Okay? So that's where we're going today. God, by the Holy Spirit, empowers us through communion, by experience, and to work. You could put my first point up there. I don't know if this is not reaching uh, far enough, but the Spirit strengthens us through communion, through communion. In the first half of this letter, you can put verses 14 to 17, or the next slide, please. Uh, sorry. In the first half of this letter, Paul had already said a lot of stuff, okay? Um, at the risk of being simplistic, let me run through some of what he has said, but apply to us in the present. So in chapter one, Paul celebrates that all who follow Jesus now belong to God and are richly blessed in Christ. I'm rich. Okay, only the Dave Chappelle fans got that, but that's fine. The Spirit reminds us of this, and Paul prays for the church to grow in this new identity since what we do flows from who we understand ourselves to be, right? Identity leads to mission. Then in chapter 2, Paul reminds these Christians, and also us, that we were once dead in sin. But because of God's love in Christ, we're now saved, forgiven, raised to new life, and set apart for good works. This is God's grace. Then at the end of chapter two, in a section of scripture that's been very important in the history of this church, Paul reminds us that God's grace to us is never just for us, but for people of all backgrounds. Through the Holy Spirit, Jews and Gentiles People who were formerly hostile to one another are now brought together in a new way as a new community. So you can read Ephesians 2, 11 to 22, and then understand a lot about our story here. And in the beginning of chapter 3, Paul says that this great new stuff God is doing through the church has always been the plan. So to follow Jesus is actually to love the church, even when it's hard. Oof, right? And then, 
For this reason, Paul says, for this reason, or having said all this, Paul prays for the church and for us in the words that we read. And his prayer shows us, even promises us, that the Holy Spirit strengthens us through communion. Paul prays that God, whose love is the source of our life, would strengthen the church with power. Tell your neighbor real quick, with power. With power through God's spirit deep within us. At the core of who we are. In our heart of hearts, we say, right? In our inner being. And then indwelling faith or connection with Jesus Christ through our faith, it comes through the Holy Spirit whom God the Father and the Son give to all who believe. Now that can sound very complicated, but what we have here, even though it is a mystery, what we have is a picture of the church in communion or intimate loving relationship with the triune God. Not trying to teach a theology class here, but follow with me, okay, in the way that it matters. Imagine this, guilty sinners but loved and saved by grace, reconciled to each other, now getting to share in the perfect love within the Trinity. This is a gift. I'm a child of the 90s, so I grew up watching The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Anybody else here remember that ancient show? Okay. Um, But I still watch it a few times a week because it's always on. And I also watch it because it's lighthearted. It's a break from the news, and and I need that. Um, In the last episode of the sixth and final season, this was 27 years ago, believe it or not, the family, (laughs) the Banks family, is finally moving out of their Bel Air home, and Will, who grew up in a rough part of Philadelphia, has to say goodbye to Uncle Phil. His mom's sister's husband, this lawyer turned judge, who took him in as a young punk. As they both hold back tears, they have this exchange that captures so much of the show's arc, and even what we learn in Ephesians. Will says, you know, it's just, when I first came out here, I was a relative. I mean, for the past six years, like, We've been family. I just don't want to go back to being just a relative again. I mean, I lived without a father and without brothers and sisters and all that. I like this life better. I want you to call me on Sundays too, you know, when you're calling your other kids. I love you, Uncle Phil. I just don't want to lose you, you know, any of you. And Uncle Phil looks at him and smiles and says, you're not going to lose us. You are my son. End of story. All the 90s kids just (laughs) cry. You see, the love shared by the Banks family, Uncle Phil and Viv, Hillary, Carlton, Ashley, baby Nikki, and even Jeffrey, that love transformed Will. It healed him and matured him. Their love was so great, of course, that any issues they had were resolved in 30 minutes, right? (laughs) 25 if you include the commercials. And it's widely known in real life that, you know, in general, receiving love and 
Security enables us to take risks, to deal with challenges, and to love each other well. But even more powerful than a sitcom, more real is the picture of divine communion at Jesus' baptism. You can put Luke 3, 21 and 22 on the screen there, which says that as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. And then Luke goes on to say that being strengthened by communion, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and was empowered to face the devil in the wilderness. See, that's good news. A holy God, because of Jesus, says to us through the Holy Spirit within us, you are my child. End of story. Actually, not the end, but it's a figure of speech. And in the same way that perfect love drives out fear, see, communing with God through the Holy Spirit strengthens us. So that's the first thing that we see in this prayer from Paul. Second, the Spirit empowers us by experience. I don't know if the Spirit's closing the door there, but the Spirit empowers us by experience. When we get to verse 17, going into verse 19, as you put that on the screen there, Paul is confident that the church would be strengthened by the Spirit in loving communion and that this would root and establish them and us in love. So the end of verse 17, which says, and I pray, it, it ties the previous verses with these ones, right? And as the church, as we are spiritually strengthened through communion with God, Paul then prays that the church would understand itself as empowered together with all the Lord's holy people, all the saints, strengthened and empowered with others whom God loves. This is important. So the Spirit also strengthens us as we see ourselves belonging to the people of God throughout time, right? Our communion is with the triune God and also with the saints throughout the world and history. So we're not alone. When the church goes through hard times, you need to know you're not alone. We're neither the first nor the last to go through this and many others faithfully go through so much more. But if you read Paul's prayer closely, what he prays for here is that the church would be empowered, literally would be strengthened with ability to grasp the love of Christ that is so wide and so long and so high and so deep that it cannot be grasped, right? He prays for us to, to take hold of what is so wide and long and high and deep that it cannot be held. Yeah. Are you following? Yeah. He prays for the church to know the love of Christ that is too wonderful to be known. He prays for them to be filled with this love that would fill them with divine fullness. Okay, what does this all mean? It sounds very 
complicated. But to be simple, Paul is praying that the church would be empowered through experience. The experience of the love of Christ that the Holy Spirit gives. Have you had this experience? The work of the Spirit is to empower us to really grasp or to really know or to really be filled with Jesus Christ's love through experience. Um, On Tuesday this past week, before that heat wave came, it was all over the news, right? Um, Everyone was talking about the heat that was to come, and Chicago Public School, I swear, they would not stop calling and messaging us about it, right? Any other parents here getting those messages? Concerned friends were texting, warning us about the heat to come, Uh, but on Wednesday in the morning, my life was pretty normal. I went from home uh, to my car, to a coffee shop, to work, back to my car as usual, and then... At three o'clock in the afternoon, when I went to pick up my eldest son, the air conditioning in my car died. And you know, I felt the heat. (laughs) I experienced it. You could show the picture I took from my dashboard there. It wasn't just head knowledge anymore. The idea that it would be hot was more than just an idea. I felt the heat and it changed the way I sat in my car. It changed the way I drove. I was not moving very much. I was trying to minimize, you know, the use of energy and it changed the way I walk. It wasn't just out there anymore. It was all up in here. It was everywhere. When I was no longer comfortable, see, I was being transformed by the experience of the heat. And I was reminded of all the cars I've had over the years that did not have air conditioning. Amen, anyone else? And that many people need help because they're vulnerable during extreme weather, right? Now this is what makes teaching on the Holy Spirit necessary, but also a challenge. We need to preach about it. Jesus taught about it. We need to learn about it. We have a lot to learn. And yet Jesus tells us that the Spirit is actually our teacher. Like many of us, the first recipients of Paul's letter here and his prayer were, they were very smart. They were very gifted and devout, like the folks at Newcom. They knew a lot and did a lot. So Paul prayed for them that what they knew about God's love and grace would now be met by something far more dynamic and transformative, the deep work of the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, of course, don't get me wrong, we pray and trust that God is at work in everything that we read and teach and sing and do. Jesus promises that also. But the power comes when the Spirit gives us the experience of God's love. Church, our part is to be open to the Spirit, to be humble and yield to the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to discern what the Spirit is leading us to, 
and to honor the diverse and sometimes very quiet ways that the Spirit works in the body of Christ. Often, the deep work of the Holy Spirit is actually the challenge of getting deeply worked on and allowing the Spirit to work deeply within us, wherever we are, where the Word meets us in the world. Experience. Third, finally, the Spirit empowers us to work. To work. As we get to and look at verses 20 and 21, Paul closes this prayer with a doxology, a famous prayer of praise to God that responds to what has already been said, what has just been expressed. So some of us learned maybe in church growing up the doxology, right? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. See, I, I don't just like to use that in church, but when I go to Luminati's and they bring out the pizza, that's when, <laughs> praise God from whom all, okay. Because what has just been said, what we've just seen, the right response to that is to praise the Lord. Now, Paul is about to get into some things. If you look closely at the letter, this doxology comes not at the end, but at the halfway point. That's why I sing the doxology before I eat my food, not after, right? But Paul's about to get into some of the local and ethical implications of the gospel. There are many. And if you know the letter, he's about to say a lot, lot more. It's as if he wants to make really clear for us that the right response to the gospel is spirit-filled prayer and praise, and the effects of the gospel are life change, holy living, and transformed relationships and systems. That's part of it. Paul knows it takes the Holy Spirit's strength and empowerment for us to respond faithfully. To live together differently takes supernatural help. We need spiritual empowerment to be ethical. In other words, the Spirit doesn't just strengthen us to, to know that we are loved by God and to also experience the presence and comfort of God, though those two things are foundational, they are critical. We've just said Paul prays for them, but the Spirit also empowers us to bear witness to Jesus Christ and to help other people understand the love of God as the Spirit is, in verse 20's words, at work within us. You tell your neighbor real quick, you better work. You better work. What Jesus has done for us gets us working through our changed lives, right? especially in times of struggle. In how we live and treat other people, that testifies to who and what we're about. That we're no longer bound by the same idols as before. We're not who we used to be. Thank you, Jesus. Now. Let me do a little bit of background here. If you know the background of the church in Ephesus from Acts chapters 19 and 20, the power of the Holy Spirit was actually critical 
in the founding of the church there. If you read those chapters, you'll see that what happened was what we call a power encounter. There was a power encounter between, on the one hand, the Holy Spirit, who filled Paul and the followers of Jesus, and on the other hand, the supernatural and economic forces at Ephesus. Okay, you gotta read that. But the Holy Spirit worked so powerfully among those who confessed Jesus as Lord that people of all backgrounds were awakened to repentance. And they left behind their sorcery, their magic, and they burned their idols and their expensive magic books. And this is actually the backdrop of Paul's letter and prayer here, an awareness of spiritual realities that we need in our own work and witness today. Now, it's gonna look very different in Chicago sometimes, especially here in Logan Square. This is a very unique neighborhood, right? But we need to recognize, church, that there are power encounters happening all around us, in our lives and families, at our schools and workplaces, in our political systems, power encounters. I was reminded of this just the other day in my neighborhood. I live in West Ridge, West Rogers Park. Um, and you know, I try as a pastor to be in the midst of where God is working. So I made sure to be there at the grand opening of the new Culver's on Lincoln and Peterson. Hallelujah. Now, not only was it packed with all kinds of people, but people of all backgrounds, actually. Oof. But the parking spaces were very narrowly drawn. Crowded, narrow parking. This is a recipe, pun intended, for problems. So as expected, when my family and I were out there enjoying our butter burgers, people in one car started yelling at people in another car, claiming that someone pushed someone else. And before you know it, all kinds of expletives were being yelled out and things were escalating. And sadly, kids were watching. Then, as happens nowadays, the parties who were in conflict started pulling out their phones and recording each other, <laughs> which is hilarious, but also sad. And then one of them yells out several times, you don't know who I know. You don't know who I know. I know, I, I don't even know who they know, but. <laughs> now, of course, because I was eating Culver's and being really blessed, filled with the spirit, I was watching this and started to make some jokes because I wanted to let them know in a lighthearted way that, hey, this is not appropriate. And I wanted to drown out their profanity because my kids were watching. And worse, I didn't want my kids to imitate that. So I said stuff like, I love Culver's too, but not that much. And then my son and I were saying, bruh, it's just Culver's. <laughs> if you think about yelling to someone else, you don't know who I know. That's actually like what happened in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. 
Nowadays, we call that a flex. It's an appeal to power or to someone in power who we say or we threaten others will help us out. In Chicago, it's very often political, even in the parking lot at Culver's. Uh, Ben Witherington, the New Testament scholar, says that Paul is actually doing something very political here. By referring to God as the source of the new community, Paul is subverting the Roman emperor who spoke of himself as father of the fatherland. See, in the church, uh, we don't flex on each other and flex our clout to threaten each other, but we love and we serve others. That's political, right? In the church, glory goes not to the emperor who rules by force or genius or charisma, but to God whose love endures forever. Throughout all generations, our work is to witness to this good news. So perhaps it's countercultural, but also healthy and life-giving um, that Scripture speaks of the Spirit's deep work within us as fruit. You know, Galatians 5, right? The fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. It's not really an intimidating image of power. (laughs) Not too many teams are going to name their mascot the fruit. The Rockford Peaches is an exception, I know. I see you, brother. But the fruit of the Spirit is the way of the crucified King who won our victory. These are the virtues of the people of God, the new community, beginning with little seeds, depending on the sun, waiting on the rain, ready to grow in season. The Spirit's work is to make us just like Jesus, who said, In Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Brother Carlton, you can come up as I try to close this here. But you know, one of the things that pastors like to do for each other is to say things to each other's churches that we wouldn't usually say to our own churches as often. Like, pray for your pastor and their family. I shouldn't have to tell my church, but it gets awkward if I keep telling them that. Um, And they do pray for us, so so don't get me wrong. They're wonderful. But as I close, I'm going to do this for Newcom's next pastor, even though only God knows who they are. As I was wrestling with these verses all week, I really struggled to figure out why Paul prays this way and why it matters so much that we do. And then it hit me that we surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit's deep work when we realize that what God desires and has in store for us is greater than what human strength can accomplish. Church, let me tell you, in love, the work that you are calling your next pastor to do and hoping that they do is humanly impossible. Even though, yes, they should have a good track record of participating with God in that work, right? 
It's not impossible because you as a church are impossible. That's not what I'm saying. You're great, but it's humanly impossible because what God has in store for the church is so much greater than a pastor. Yeah. It cannot and ultimately won't be the next pastor's vision or preaching or leadership or personality that gets Newcom to live out its name, the new community. No pastor's gifts or character or training will ever accomplish that. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, as the whole body participates in the work, God is able to do so much more immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And that's true for all of us, not just the pastor. What God wants for us, for you and me, in our families, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our work, for this great city, what God wants for us is beyond our abilities. This is why as a spouse and a parent and a pastor, I've learned to start the day more often with the Lord's Prayer. Not because I've arrived, but because I haven't. <laughs> and I need the Holy Spirit's help. For Newcom to be, to reconcile and be reconcilers is humanly impossible. Do you know that? That's why it's so rare and our culture does not celebrate this. It is unnatural. Our knowledge, our ability will never lead sinners to repentance or raise the dead to life. But isn't this what Jesus does for us? Through the love of God and power of the Holy Spirit, isn't this our story? We have been reconciled and we are being reconciled because of God's love, grace, and power. We've made it thus far, and we're here today. Thanks be to God. The same power that raised up Jesus is at work in the church even now, even here, even today. Nothing is impossible with God. Amen? Through the Holy Spirit, God rejoices to strengthen us beyond what we could ever ask or imagine to make us more like Jesus in the ways we love and serve others. And the more deeply we allow the Holy Spirit to work, the more powerfully we will experience and embody the love of Jesus for our city. As we close this series, and as an early start to the very important meeting this coming Tuesday, the healing service, we're going to take some time and make room to honor the deep work of the Holy Spirit in this church. So if the Holy Spirit has spoken a word of comfort or of challenge to you over these many weeks, let's take some time to honor that word and to let it marinate. Let's hold space for that. If God has put a specific person or people or place on your heart in the last few weeks, let's honor that as well and ask the Holy Spirit to strengthen us with vision to see them like Jesus does. Or if you're like me and you realize that you need the Holy Spirit to empower you in some specific way, let us rest in God's desire to strengthen us through communion, by experience, and for the sake of our work and witness. Brother Tim will be here after the service as well and would love to pray for you. 
And after a few minutes of quiet prayer and reflection, Brother Carlton will lead our team uh, and lead us to respond.